All right. All right. Thank you for that. That that's just in case you don't have time, you have to hurry out of here. You've been greeted, and I want to, man, take advantage of that being together, uh, and and just enjoying, you know, not not just this opportunity to worship, but man, we get to do that together. I thought about that this morning. Just the the opportunity to worship is every day. Did you know that opportunity to worship is to give praise to God? Go go into prayer. But today, today is the day we get to do that together. And that's significant. That's significant. We get to come together, uh, bonded through Jesus Christ, and, and worship his holy name together, as the song says. Uh, are, you, are you ready for the continued examination of the church? Uh, it's, it's like that. Oh, it's, it's test morning. And, and here for seven weeks, uh, we're going through that examination uh, by the only one who should be examining this, it's Jesus. Uh, Revelation chapter 1, there's that image of the seven lampstands, golden lampstands, where that, that wonderful image of Jesus is walking amongst those lampstands. And in chapters 2 and 3, that's where our focus is, chapters 2 and 3, uh, Jesus has uh, just kind of the report, here's what I know about you. Here's what's good, and here's where you as a church need to repent. And so through this, we're, we're, here's how we're making use of it. We're reading it, and we say, oh, yeah, that's the church in Ephesus. Oh, yeah, that's the church in Smyrna. And today, oh, yeah, that's the church in Pergamum. But where is it that we have some strengths? And especially, especially, where is it that we as a church need to repent? I think that's a good thing. I want to hit on that a little bit later. But we've already gone through these two churches, Ephesus. If you remember Ephesus, uh, Jesus says, I know your good deeds and your perseverance. And he goes on and on. He said, but I have this against you. You've lost your first love. You lost that first, you loved that passion at the beginning. And, and everything, everything that, that was good was, was yeah, it, it just wasn't good enough. Because of love. Love is that significant part. So the encouragement for us is, man, we need to always remember that love is significant. We need to be loving one another. We need to be loving God. Uh, uh, number two was Smyrna. Last week we talked about Smyrna. Smyrna it was that persecuted church. He says, I know your poverty and your afflictions. And, and the good news for them from Jesus was, oh, and more's coming. Right? Whew. Is, is that the kind of news we, we, it's not what we want to hear, but for Smyrna, his message was be faithful, be faithful. And, and, and even towards the end where it basically identifies there's going to be a day when you'll look back and say, man, it was all worth it. For Smyrna, the persecutions, uh, the 10 days of imprisonment and death, oh, it was all worth it. It was all the worth the sacrifice and the, and the enduring of the, the greatest difficulties because uh, what God has in store for us yet to come. That was the message to Smyrna. Now, Pergamum. I, I, I kind of identified locations where each one was. Uh, Ephesus, then Smyrna was like 10 miles uh, north, no, no, about 20 miles uh, north of, of Ephesus. Both were port cities. Pergamum was not a port city. It is farther north than Smyrna, but it's like 10 miles inland. And, and one kind of designated feature over this city was, is built upon a very steep and high hill. Now, if you're from Kansas, we probably would have called it a mountain. 
Have you ever been in Kansas? Man, that's real high. Well, that's a mountain. And people in Colorado laugh at you and say, that's not a mountain. So it was, it was a very high uh, hill. Uh, for those in Colorado, it was, it was a very low mountain for those in Kansas, okay? We'll put it that way. Anyway, that was Pergamum. Here's what Jesus said. We're going to get more into details about Pergamum. But, but here's what Jesus had to say to this city of Pergamum. Beginning verse 12. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who was the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live where Satan has his name, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites, to sin, so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also, uh, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against, against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. There's some details about Pergamum that, that we're going to cover, but here's one detail I'd like to share with you that doesn't come out and, and say it just blatantly. But, but uh, Pergamum is a city of lies. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a city full of deception. And, and uh, man, it is not good to live, man, in, in a, that, you know, say within a family where, where there are maybe teenagers or maybe someone in the family you just can't trust. That, that household is not in good shape, Right? Because of deceitfulness. Well, Pergamum was a city of lies. And that's where the church in Pergamum existed. The church of Jesus Christ. The message that we hear from Jesus out of the context of what he's saying is this. That we are to live the truth of Jesus in a world full of lies. In a world full of deception. We have to hold to the truth. That was, that was the church in Pergamum. Uh, matter of fact, here's where I want to start. As believers uh, in Pergamum, they were commended by Jesus, as we read in this text. He says, uh, you remain true to my name. You remain true to my name. And that's our first encouragement. That ought to be us as well. We must remain true to Jesus. True to Jesus. Faithful to him. Now, uh, in, in that thing, you remain true to me, it was, it was the circumstances. Here it is. Jesus again says, I know where you live. For each church, he says this. Uh, for, for Ephesus, like I say, uh, Ephesus said, or to Ephesus he said, uh, I know your good deeds, I know your deeds, and I know your perseverance. Or, or to Pergamon, he says, I know the afflictions, I know the poverty. And, and to, now to Pergamon, he says, I know where you live. I think that's an encouragement for us to embrace, and, and I'll probably remind you again and again, Jesus knows his church. 
Jesus absolutely knows his church. And, and this idea of an examination every once in a while, is, is, is just kind of the idea we've thrown out there. But Jesus always knows his church. He, he knows us. He knows, he knows the good about this congregation. But he also knows where we need to do some repenting. Hold on to that. Embrace it. God, open our eyes. Maybe one of the prayers, God, open our eyes to anything where we need to do some repenting. That, that ought to be an open and honest prayer that the church should have before him. Anyway, back to this. I know where you live. That was important to Pergamum. And, and then he says, you live where Satan has his throne. Now, what does that mean? Let me tell you a little, a little bit about this city, Pergamum. It, it was a pagan city. It was a pagan, I mean, full of gods, little g gods, non-existent gods, but they were worshiping gods. Uh, and, and, and there's a lot of ideas out there what, what uh, uh, Jesus might mean by calling this city where, where the throne of Satan had, where, where the throne of Satan exists. Uh, I mean, it could possibly be that upon this, this very high, uh, steep hill, uh, on the very top of that existed this, this um, uh, it, it was a, um, oh, good grief. It, it, it was a shrine or it was, it was a, a, a temple to, to the god Zeus. It was a temple to God Zeus. Zeus was, was that supreme god. And, it, and it, it, it was built right on top of Pergamum. It was also a place of the cult of Asclepius. Asclepius. Uh, he was a god you would always be able to identify, not necessarily by his looks, but by the staff that he had with him. It was entwined with a snake upon it. We might be familiar with that and uh, the, the symbol for medicine today or... Uh, it has serpents up a pole or, or something uh, with, with wings that actually comes from Hermes. But the, the snake idea actually came from the god Asclepius. Now, Asclepius, as a god, was a, a, a god who was, who was of healing, it even identified as a savior amongst them. Uh, and, and so there, there's that occult, a, a, a rather large following for this specific God in Pergamum. It was also a place, like many other places, uh, a place where emperor worship uh, was. They were very involved in emperor worship. The temple of Augustus was built in the time of, of the beginnings of the church. Plus, other temples were uh, built on, on behalf of many of the emperors. Uh, overall, I appreciate one, the, one of the sources I looked at basically identified Pergamum as the seat of Satan or the throne of Satan as, as like in Revelation. You know, the identifying of the beast in the book of Revelation, his dwelling, I mean, it was Rome. It was Rome. It was his throne in, in the West. Pergamum at one time, Pergamum was a capital or a, a, a very central, uh, focused upon Rome location, uh, and, and it had moved since then, but it was, it was seen uh, because of its, its paganism, but also because of the strength of Rome was coming through Pergamum. And it moved on to Ephesus, but, but uh, that, that's one of the other ideas. Whatever it is, we know who Satan is. 
We know what, who Satan is. And, and, and this is the ideal. Well, the scripture says that Satan is a liar. And he is not only that, but he's also the father of lies. Deception is his greatest tool. And within this city, matter of fact, I think about it. Ephesus had this problem. Smyrna had this problem. But Pergamum also had, the, had this problem of worshiping the little g-gods. Gods who weren't existent at all. Matter of fact, in Romans, Paul addresses that very thing, that the world has this problem. Uh, in Romans chapter 1, 21 through 23, uh, Paul says, For although they knew God, matter of fact, even in, in, in verses before, is it, you know, how did they know God? Well, uh, you know, his creation. In the scriptures, is his invisible qualities of, are, are known to anybody without scripture or anything else. We look at, at creation. And in creation, his eternal power and his divine nature are, are right there. There has to be a designer. There has to be a creator. He said, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look, uh, look like a, a mortal human, like the emperors, or, or being or human being and, and birds and animals and reptiles. So they worshiped God through their own creation and through their own imagination, you know, developing statues and other things uh, from, from wood and, and, and from stone, and, and, and that's what they worshiped. And I'll emphasize it again. Little g, non-existent, came of their own imagination. That's who they worshiped. Now, the world continues in ignoring God's, God's existence today. Uh, people around us uh, just truly ignore God. Uh, what, what do people worship? You know, what, is it, what is it people around us are worshiping? Whether it's, it's riches or whether it's fame or, or famous people or, or sports teams or, you know, there, there is worship going on. And, and, and the world around us is ignoring the opportunity to worship the one true God, the, the one who is called Jehovah in the Old Testament, the, the Yahweh, the great I Am. The beginning and the end, even as Jesus identifies as the first and the last. Uh, it's just continued ignoring. Uh, this, this wet my whistle a little bit. I had to do some Googling uh, to find out more about pagan, pagan groups uh, that exist today. Uh, I found a pagan website. Can't tell you what the name is. Don't want to tell you what the name is. You can do it yourself. But anyway, I looked up uh, uh, just pagan groups that have identified and, and there are numerous. I mean, pagans, Wiccans, witches, druids are some of the, the, the groups that I identified. And in this, they had a world map. And, and each identified group, again, it's the identified groups uh, who claim to be pagans, put a little red flag uh, in, in the area on the, on the map. So it was spread out, the map of the world. Uh, and and I, I will tell you that America was absolutely red. It was absolutely covered. You know, here we are, you know, on our money we say, in God we trust. But it's also this, that we've had the freedom to worship whoever. Guess who people are choosing? Whoever. <laughs> our society is choosing. The world is choosing whoever. It's not choosing God, the one and only God. 
It's choosing whoever, whatever, and, and putting it together for themselves. Listen, the church in Pergamum, man, what, what Jesus said was good about them, that, that, that you, know, you are remaining faithful. You are remaining true to my name. That was the significance. We need to do the same. We, we cannot renounce the name of Jesus. How did they do it? Uh, quite possibly what, what was happening within the city, within festivals, within feasts, and other things, observances out of the, the, the temples, uh, sacrifices, all those things going on, there was, uh, there was the possibility of joining in and, and taking part in some of those things. And they did not. They did not. I do think about some things, you know, here uh, where we live, uh, all the celebrations we do each year, three that I think about is Halloween, Christmas, and Easter. You know, how do we, how do we celebrate Halloween? I've always said, man, we're not going to celebrate the evil, right? I mean, that ought to be upon our hearts. And what we do for the past several years is a means of outreach, on behalf of, you know, serving a community and, and giving a place that's going to be safe and also introducing ourselves to a community around us. I mean, it, it's one of the choices we made. And, and Christmas and Easter, man, those are, those are religious holidays, right? The birth of Jesus and the resurrection, the death and the resurrection, things that we definitely want, events of Jesus that we want to celebrate. Do we need a day for that? In reality, we don't. What do we, what do we celebrate today? The birth of Jesus. Don't let your kids know that. Christmas every day, yay! It is, it is. It is a celebration of his coming every day. It is a celebration of his death, his willingness to go to the cross for us. It is a celebration of his resurrection. His victory is our victory. Uh, but, but then there's these guys, Santa Claus and Easter Bunny, Right? They come in. I, and, and, and the thing for us as believers is where's your focus when it comes to these celebrations? You know, is it with your kids, the things of the Easter Bunny or Santa Claus? Or is it, man, the most significant thing that we are always going to celebrate, that my kids are going to know that I'm going to take part in, is the celebration of his coming and, and his resurrection. Right? I, I think that's how we do and approach every single day. It is about him. And, and the things of this world, man, there's things that we could definitely be involved in stuff, but our focus should always be on him and, and what we do. Let's move on. That, that idea of being faithful and true to Jesus. The second part of this is actually where Jesus had to condemn them, had to warn them. And, and, and here's the point that, that I want to make out of this is, as, as a body of believers, as a church, the truth must be protected. The truth must be protected. The truth of his word, the truth of the gospel, the truth of the God we know, the one and only God. The correction was this. Beginning of verse 14, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of the Balaam. Hold to the teaching of Balaam. And then verse 15, likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Uh, the problem was, as a church, they failed to stand against deceptive teaching. Or they failed to stand against the deceptions that were out and around. It was, some of that, that, that deception was being infiltrated into the church. It was being taught. And, and the church cannot allow that. We cannot be... Uh, 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 
apathetic to those things. We need to be aware of it and, and be ready to correct it. Let me, let me just go through these two teachings. The teaching of Balaam really is not even a, a teaching at all, or it's not a doctrine that was being spread. The way it's presented, we go back into the Old Testament for this. It's, it's actually some activity that was taking place. Numbers 31, write these down if you want to look at them later. But Numbers 31 verse 16 identifies specifically what's going on with Balaam. And, and Numbers 25 lays, it at, lays out the, uh, the actual uh, um, production of what, what he says in Numbers 31. Numbers 31, Balaam uh, helps uh, the enemy of Israel uh, know how to take Israel down. As that nation of God... Balaam gives uh, uh, the, the Moabites exactly what they need to, how do I take this nation down? Well, uh, in, in Numbers 31, 16, it's about seducing. You, you don't go attack them physically. You seduce them as a nation. You seduce them into unfaithfulness. You seduce them into unfaithfulness. That's how Balaam says, this is how you do it. And in Numbers 25, you see it happen. The Moabites seduce the Israelites with their, their women. They seduced the Israelites with the women. They indulged in sexual immorality that led to sacrificing to the gods. Uh, they participated in eating sacrificial meals and bowed down before these gods. Uh, Israel became unfaithful because of the seductive ways that Balaam had introduced. It's, it's, it's saying it's okay, it's be a part, and oh, I want some of that. Matter of fact, that's the teaching of the Nicolaitans. I really believe there's, there's a connection between these two. You get to that verse 15, it says, like also those uh, who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. We, we brought this up in Ephesus. Again, uh, there's, there's several different areas it could come from, but foundationally, the Nicolaitans believed uh, that that. You know, they believed in the freedom they had. They loved that word freedom. Oh man, we're free uh, under this grace of God that he's given us. But that freedom was abused. It was, it was used and encouraged to indulge in whatever it wanted. Whatever the flesh wanted and desired. Uh, there was no, no sense of call to righteousness or call to holiness as the scripture plainly lays out. It was this idea is, I'm going to live in this grace and, and forgiveness of Jesus. All the while, I'm just going to indulge in whatever the world offers. That, that's what the Nicolaitans uh, taught. And it, it, was, it was brought into the church, and it wasn't being turned away. It wasn't being turned away. Jesus threats with the action of the truth from his mouth. It's his tongue. His tongue described as a double-edged sword, which is, just clearly, when we see the words come from his mouth, it is about judgment, a just, fair, and right kind of judgment. Truth uh, is what he's speaking about. And it's coming over the whole church. The church, you know, we, we cannot be indifferent to all teaching. You know, not, not in that place of, oh, and, and declaring it love. Well, I'm not going to correct this group. I'm, I'm going to be really careful with this group. You know, they're teaching the wrong thing. But I don't want to hurt their feelings. That's not love. <laughs> That's not love. It, it, it means some confronting needs to happen. And, and like Ephesus missed that on, it needs to be done with love. 
Let's go to the Word. Let's read it. Let's see what it says. Scripture is very clear that, that, it, that, that we're not saved in order for us to abuse, abuse the grace that we've been given. We need to live lives honoring of the grace that we've been given, right? Completely contrary to what the Nicolaitans were teaching. So the church itself is going to receive this, this rebuke from, uh, from Jesus, but there's also going to be a judgment over those who act unfaithfully and who have this disregard for the grace by, you know, saying, I'm going to receive grace, but then I'm just going to conduct myself however I want to. That's not true. That's not from his word. And, and the church, to, to be accepting of that, God forgive us. What does he say? Repent. Repent. Here's, here's who we need to be as a church. You know, we lay this out before everybody. This is why we exist, is so that we can foster the family of God. We want to foster the family of God. It's going to be seen in our preaching and our teaching. And our teaching and our preaching is going to be full of God's word, held correctly. Okay, I will say it again. If ever there's a place where I've gone astray from scriptures, I expect the leadership of this church, or, or anyone to come and ask, correct, let's get it right. We're, we're in this together, okay? So, so that the word of God is being proclaimed from here, or in classrooms, it is being declared and taught. Uh, it, it is that part of fostering the family of God. We want each of you to develop a love and an understanding of the truth of the scriptures, not just someone you see on YouTube or pick up on, you know, here and there. There's a lot of preaching out there. Some of it excellent and good. Some of it could lead you astray. Uh, could you imagine guys, Nicolaitans, who come out, come out and, and, and lay out this message. Man, you're free. Just indulge. Man, God's going to forgive you and everything's okay. I have heard uh, messages from, the, from, from many who have just butchered the scriptures and what God intends us to hear. We need to be careful what we hear because ultimately we need to know the truth. We need to know the truth of his word, truth of God, the truth of his son, the truth of that gospel that saves us. That act of repentance, that's actually connected with this, this, this thing of uh, us being fostering the family of God. You know what? A church that finds itself repenting off, often, I believe, is a church that is healthy. Right? I believe a believer who finds himself on their knees and asking for mercy and forgiveness and repenting before God, humbling himself before God, is a healthy believer. Man, if you don't find yourself involved in some repenting and some some moving forward that, that that's not taking place the moving forward isn't taking place the changing the growing isn't going to happen in your life or in a church as a whole man i i think tyler who came forward last week and boldly just said man i i repent of this thing in my life you know that that brought up in in, in the sermon i i would love and this sounds strange i know this sounds strange and difficult i find it easy just to tell you that 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 i'm a sinner i'm a sinner and, and, and to some of you, I've been more specific with that, what that means. I'm, I'm not someone who you put on any kind of pedestal. I absolutely am dependent upon Jesus Christ. 
absolutely dependent upon Jesus for my salvation. When I go to heaven and I stand before God and the judgment comes, I'm not going to depend on all the sermons I preached or whatever good things I've done. I'm not. I'm looking, Jesus, there he is. (laughs) I'm going to be dependent upon Jesus. So are you. And it will always be. The, 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 The church that's going to be healthiest is the church who has the ability to repent. And to, to hit our knees and to ask his forgiveness. Uh, hopefully the, per, the church in Pergamum responded to this. And said, man, we're going to hold to the truth. We're going to take care of the, the, the false teaching, uh, the false believers within the church. We're going to confront them. We're going to confront them with love. And, and we're going to, although with love, protect the overall church. So they won't get the scripture turned around. Oh, finally, verse 17, we need to get to that. Uh, uh, Verse 17 is this, it it, it ends well for for all those who faithfully live this truth. It it ends well for those who embrace and live the truth of the scriptures, who live the truth of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Those who will not compromise their faith uh, in this uh, this, uh, sinful, deceitful world. We live that Faithfully live that truth. Uh, Those who are victorious, it says within verse 17, will be given hidden manna and a white stone. Hidden manna, manna we know what that is if we're familiar with the Old Testament. Manna is what uh, the the, uh, uh, people of Israel, the children of Israel had received when they went into the desert. It is God's provision it is God's provision in, in a desert place where nothing else existed. They didn't have to toil for it. They didn't have to plant it, grow it. They went out and collected it each day. It is absolutely God's provision. Then the stone. Man, there's a lot of different ideas for the stone. You know, there's the breastplate of the priest, and, and, and there are certain stones in there that help make decisions. Some think, well, man, it, maybe it's one of the stones out of the breastplate of the uh, of the. the uh, priest, uh, possibly it, it, it is a specifically as a white stone in a trial. A juror would cast a white stone or, or put a white stone in a basket, identifying a not guilty verdict. Which which I kind of resonated with me. I like that one. You're going to be given a white stone, not guilty. Uh, so that that might be an identifying part of that. The one that I, I kind of resonated with the most was this idea of uh, there are certain tokens or, or, or stones or, or maybe different things that were given to people uh, that was more or less a, an admission to a, a great banquet that's coming. And so they're given a stone. And, and the white stone indicates the triumph of their faith, the ones who are victorious. And it just reminded me, to, to, to put those two together, a great banquet where, where God's provisions is going to be given. And a stone that, that, is, that is going to be admission to that. A white stone that shows the victory of that person. It reminds me of the, the parables that Jesus taught about the great banquet. Luke 14, for instance. Man, there's going to be this great banquet. Go out and invite. Go out and invite. And, and many turned them down, but there are those who received the invitation and came to the banquet. Uh, it, it, it does remind me, there is going to be that day. Man, what a celebration. I'd like, guys, are you with me on this? Wouldn't you like to start with eating? <laughs> the table's set. The provisions are there. Matter of fact, the whole idea 
uh, of what's going to take place is that, that through God's truth, he's going to bring together all those who hold on to that, who are faithful. He's going to bring about peace. He's going to bring about his provision. And he's going to bring about vindication. When we think about a world of sinfulness and ugliness and, and their continued lies and maybe us being mocked and, and uh, uh, even persecuted to the point of being persecuted, that, that idea of vindication is pretty sweet. It's pretty sweet. And I think in that day we will be vindicated as, as today we continue to stand for the truth of God's word. We stand for his truth. Uh, it also, I don't want to miss this, it also lays out this, this name uh, that, that is given to that one. A new name, which is a transforming uh, experience to come when, when we're changed. That perishable to the imperishable, the mortal to the immortality, that, that great transfer. So there is there's absolutely reward coming to those who are going to be faithful and true to what God has provided and given to each of us. We are to live faithful to God. We're to live faithful to God through Jesus in, in a world full of deceitfulness. It's all around. Now, aren't you worn out because of it? If, if you watch any kind of news and things like that and you have nowhere to turn when there's so much deceitfulness in the world, sometimes we're even confused. And, and the truth is the, the, the Satan in this world has one huge lie. And it's this. God doesn't exist. Or there's other gods where you could put your attention. There is only one true God. One true God. And, and, and you know his name. You, you know his name. You know what he's done. He's, he's Jehovah of the Old Testament. He's Yahweh. He's the beginning, the last. Uh, he's the Alpha and the Omega. There is no other God. And wow, what a story he's given us through Jesus. So in this, remain true to Jesus. Remain true to Jesus. And as a church, protect this truth. Protect the truths of the scripture. Hold to it. You know, stand firm in it. Don't bend. And, and we as a church want to be healthy in that. We want to be strong in that. And, and understand this too. Through faithfulness, through enduring difficulties, it all ends well. Right? It all ends well. When we enter into glory. Holding on to that truth, what he has provided for us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you and we thank you always for Jesus. We thank you for the message of salvation we have through his coming, willingly going to the cross. Lord, to pay a debt that we cannot pay. Uh, to redeem us, to atone our sins. Father, to, to bring us into this relationship with you. Father, through his blood, fully cleansed and, and brought into this, you know, into this family, brothers and sisters in Christ, united to their creator. God, we call you Father. We praise you for that message. We ask, Lord, that you help us to remain true to Jesus. That, Father, in the face of this world, that, that we're very mindful of what's happening in the church and what's being said, what's being taught. And correct it, Lord, where it needs to be corrected, where it, where, where it goes errant from, from the truth of your word. We praise you for uh, the ability that we have to read and take it in. So we do ask, Lord, that you continue to strengthen us in your word. And Father, we pray that, that you open our eyes
Father, we want to be attentive. Lord, if there are those places that we need to repent, Father, bring us to repentance. Bring us humbly in a sense of submission as well to humbly come before you with that repentance. Lord, we're in your hands. And Lord, that is a solid foundation. That is a solid place for us to be. And we praise you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.